Good evening. Welcome to Rose City Politics. It is October 27th. Our regular panel tonight includes Doug Sartori, Don Merrifield Jr., and myself, John Lidke. How are you both doing tonight? Great. Unmuted and very good. How are you? Very good as well. Thank you caught you. me off guard. You're usually not that quick. So I, I just I wanted to get right into it. I know. Tonight. <laughs> if you're listening and you support us on Patreon, thank you so much. If not, head over to patreon.com forward slash Rose City Politics. We are in BizX Magazine and at bizxmagazine.com. We have a new column that's coming out for November and December. We talk about the Festival Plaza redevelopment and some of the wrenches that's been thrown into that as well. Um, so it's going to be, it's a pretty good column, I got to admit. And Rose City Politics broadcasts live on tape thanks to the kind support of Leuna 625, Building Better Communities. We've got three topics up for tonight. Council calls for more options on Riverfront Festival Plaza Canopy. So you're going to be getting a, a little sneak peek of that column there, I guess, tonight. City of Windsor has launched new budget engagement tools in time for the 2022 budget, but act quick because they're killing the tool in mid-November. And the Stellantis news makes launch of Windsor works even more important, according to Mayor Dilkins. So let's jump right into it. City Council has voted almost unanimously that administration should work with a consultant to develop different costing options for the final detailed design of the new festival plaza canopy and overhaul. They want that vary in price and once completed, undertake public and stakeholder consultations on the designs. It has taken years to get to this point with the design, which went to council last month at an estimated $32.5 million. Ward 3 Councillor Reno Bordelin brought forward the motion, and it calls for administration to create a detailed plan that ensures the Canopy Project has connectivity with other aspects of the riverfront and downtown areas. The Ward 3 Councillor also hopes that the outcome will see the removal of a proposed pedestrian tunnel under Riverside Drive, and he expects administration will have a suite of options for council to consider early 2022. So this is, uh, you know, sort of like the never-ending story here with uh, the Festival Plaza. I didn't think that uh, we'd be seeing it completely get as thrown off course as it has been now. Um, near unanimously, you know, that's a, it's a big blow for, you know, I would say Mayor Dilkins right off the bat, who really wanted to usher this thing through quickly. We saw councillors Geniac and Francis both offside him, which was, you know, pretty surprising to see. It's not that things are set in stone, but it, it, was, it was interesting nonetheless. And, you know, this fits directly in with the Windsor Works report even though it recommends to be careful and cautious when undertaking these decisions, advocating almost not to do so. But it does note that, you know, our riverfront is one of the, well, is the crown jewel that we have here in the community. So Doug, I'll start with you. What's your take on, uh, you know, the long and the short on this? So the, um, uh, there's so many places to go with this. Uh, I'll start with the substance of it. Um, I, I do think that this was a good decision of council. Um, there, you know, there is an appetite in the community, I think, for um, the 
the finishing of the Festival Plaza. Um, I think we've heard that from folks. Um, and the other thing that we've heard is a lot of sticker shock on the price. Um, the 32 or 35, the $32.5 million proposal, um, it, you know, that was my concern with it. Not that, um, you know, we shouldn't finish the plaza and create uh, a bit of a better environment for events. Um, but I just never understood why this is the one that we would gold plate and why this deserved the level of overinvestment um, that $32.5 million represents compared to other things, other priorities in the community. So um, I think it's good that council will get a number of options to consider. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure why that's not a best practice in general, um, why there isn't a good, better, best option provided um, more often when um, spending opportunities come to council. But overall, I think it's good. Um, I don't know if you want to give Don a chance to weigh in before we start to talk maybe about the politics of it, but that's my view on the substance. Well, to give my Reader's Digest comments and not ruin what comes out in BizX, because I'm sure everybody's just waiting with bated breath to hear what I had to say in the magazine. Uh, yeah, I, I think the price tag is a big deal, $32 million. I, mean, I believe you brought it up when it was last week or two weeks, and we, we seem to be talking about this every week. Uh, you know, that's almost what City Hall cost the new city hall. So, you know, again, if you're going to spend that kind of money, you should certainly try to make it a venue that you can use year round and get some type of capital return on your investment. So, you know, I, again, I, you know, I'm sure I said this the last time we talked about this, if you're going to do it, I mean, and close it and make it something like a, you know, year round market or year round something so that, you know, there's no point in spending $32 million just so you can, you know, get six more concerts down there. It doesn't make any sense. So let, let me, before, well, let me ask you guys a question. I'm curious on this. So this has been in the works, I guess it was initially, was it four or five years ago that they wanted, you know, a, a report coming back from whatever company they hired to do that, which was obviously the previous council. And now that it's come to fruition and the reports there and everybody, not everybody, but it seems like council has taken, you know, in my mind, a responsible approach to this, like, hey, do we really need to spend this kind of money on a project like this? Do you think when this all first started, you know, when everybody was rah, rah, let's go, do you really think the actual support was there from the city councillors, uh, the ones that are still there? Because even people like Councillor Geniac have been pushing back and she always seemed to kind of just fall in step with whatever was going on from the mayor's seat. So I think it's interesting that now that I don't know if it's because there's a new council or if at the time there really wasn't the support for this kind of thing uh, from the get-go, because it all seems to be falling apart in my eyes. Uh, so I'm not sure what you mean. You mean the, um, uh, like, why did it take so long to come back? No, it's like, well, obviously they gave the money and put forth, okay, go to the consultants and draw something up and give us some ideas. What was that? 2000 and was it four years ago they started this yeah. process? I feel like that, that happened in 2019. So it would have been in this council, I think. Oh, was it? I thought it was started like four years ago. They said, I could be wrong. Maybe I misunderstood that. It just, it just, it seems different. Like the whole dynamic down at city council seems to be changing. And for a lot of these things that, Oh yeah, it's two, even two years out. Uh, do you think maybe it's just the pandemic? Maybe it's the fact that, you know, 
the wallet's getting a little tighter and money's a little tighter. So people are actually are being responsible, fiscally conservative, one could say. Uh, it just seems it's weird that, yeah, rah, rah, let's go with this. And then it finally comes out and everybody's like, okay, hang on. Why are we going so fast? Well, if I remember correctly, um, the uh, the price tag that was attached to it at approval, the the estimates were about half that number, um, something like $14, $15 million. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I think there was sticker shock when this came back at 32. And, uh, you know, I, I think that part of the intent of that motion is to, um, you know, is to get a range of options that would include what was kind of originally envisioned when um, when it came before council before. But I want to talk about the, the stuff you alluded to in terms of the dynamics on council. Um, I find that really interesting. And when we get into the Windsor work stuff, we're going to find that it, there's, there's a similar dynamic happening. And that is that um, councillors Geniac and Francis are seemingly offside with some elements of the mayor's agenda. Um, you know, both, uh, I would say both of these issues, Windsor Works and the um, Festival Plaza are kind of signature issues for this mayor, things that, um, you know, he has put a bit of capital behind, he has put a bit of, um, of effort behind um, getting these things passed. And in the past, um, you know, think back to the previous term on council, the six to four votes, you could um, pretty much uh, sit there ahead of time and know where the votes were going to land on any given thing. And Francis and Geniac would be reliable votes for this mayor. And I can't quite put my finger on what's changed. Um, but, the, you know, there was an exchange and we're going to deal with it later when we get to Windsor Works. But there was an exchange between um, between Geniac, uh, Mayor Dilkins and Jason Rayner that was um surprisingly heated and and you know heated debate I think is a good thing um passionate debate um differentiating between different positions I think that's all good it just surprises me to see these particular players um seemingly offside with each other when in the past uh you know a lot of times it seemed very coordinated when um when things would happen around the table Francis Geniac Sleeman would be counselors who, um, you know, seemingly had a uh, role to play and, and there, there had been some pre-gaming in terms of, you know, figuring out where everyone would come in and, and where the motion would come from and so forth. At least that's the appearance that it had, um, which is very, very different from what we're seeing here. Yeah, the old council divide seems to have finally disappeared, the split on council, you know, we kind of had team a and team b and that seems and to go completely off topic is it very disconcerting that i can see my head behind you the whole time while you're talking because i can't it's really i'm gonna start doing stuff that's all i'm saying <laughs> I, I i i did not realize before we started recording that you would be able to see your own reflection behind me uh, yeah. I, all I, I can see is my head over your shoulder like i'm about to murder you or something yeah, but, yeah it's but scaring yeah. me too <laughs> well it's the halloween season but yeah i do I, I it is very interesting to me that that you know what would have been a lockstep together you know we're in this together kind of team approaches really seems to be fading away and and I have no inside knowledge and I don't know why this is happening. Uh, maybe the election's coming and maybe, you know, maybe some people are looking at different seats. I don't know, but it just, yeah, it is very odd that that, that, that coalition has fallen apart. You know, my take is with COVID 
we got a lot of sticker shock from a lot of things. I mean, it's impacted everybody in different ways. And, you know, be honest, Ward 1 and Ward uh, 6 with Geniac, you know, their voters are very different than from, you know, downtown core voters, far more concerned, I would say, um, about, you know, fiscal realities. And what have we had recently? We had, you know, the mayor push forward a plan for redevelopment of 80 Knox, come hell or high water, we're on for up to $30 million if we don't get any grants with it. There's now the debate about the streetcar still, and it's in the millions of millions of dollars. And now I think I agree with Doug, like this is, it was a real sticker shock. They had thought it was going to be half this price. And, you know, now they're coming, it's come back. It's a lot more money. And I think the two of them, counselors Francis and Geniac, they can go, this doesn't benefit me. This doesn't benefit my ward. It's not in my ward. How am I supposed to sell this to my voters? And I think they just don't care that they're offside from Mayor Dilkins. And we're seeing that ideological divide uh, show up for how the reality that it is now. Yeah, so I, I think um, I, I kind of agree and I kind of disagree. I, I think you're onto something, particularly um, when you're talking about the ward politics. Um, Fred Francis uh, is the is the councillor for Ward One. Uh, Joanne Geniak is the councillor for Ward Six, um, and I I think there is probably a sense um, from both of those councillors that their ward wants to see um, fiscal conservatism. Their their ward wants to see a control on spending, unless of course it's a new Roseland clubhouse or fancy streetlights in Southwood Lakes. Um, but if it's not uh, something that would directly benefit them, then um, they're pretty skeptical about the spending. But um, focusing in on Ward 1, I don't have the figures in front of me, but Mayor Dilkins um, significantly outpolled Fred Francis in Ward 1. Um, that's at least my recollection um, that Fred Francis's uh, result was a lot weaker in terms of total votes. I, I, John, you're furiously typing, so I hope you're fact-checking me as we speak. Absolutely. Um, so, so I kind of question that, and being on the ground in Ward One, um, which I, I, you know, I, I live there, but also um, I work Ward One in elections um, uh, at every level of government, um, and there is a lot of warm feeling towards Mayor Dilkins in Ward One. Um, there is a deep reservoir of respect and support for the former Ward One councillor. And I, I don't think that that's quite, there is quite the same level of affection for Fred Francis and it's borne out in the, um, in the vote totals. So I, I got to think that um, if Councillor Francis is calculating that um, a, a hard line um, fiscally conservative message is the way for him to secure reelection, then I, I don't totally agree because if you if you look at um, if you look at just look at the numbers and look at the facts, uh, um, Mayor Dilkins has a deep deep support in Ward One, um, and you would think that being um, on board with the mayor's agenda would be politically valuable for you. So I I'm still left scratching my head, although I I do think that. Um, uh, and again, when we get to Windsor Works, I think we can talk about this a little more. I do think that Joanne Geniak had some comments that are kind of illuminating. Um, many of her comments, you know, Councillor Geniak likes to go down memory lane. She likes to talk about uh, how things were done in 2003 and 2006 and, you know, the things that they did in this year and that year. Um, 
and one of the things that I sense from Counselor Geniac is a real interest in protecting um, her legacy and protecting the legacy of previous councils and maybe of the previous mayor. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I think makes uh, Councillor Geniac a barrier to progress sometimes is that um, doing things differently would be repudiating what has gone before and there, you know, she really resists doing that. Um, so to the extent that this mayor is taking a different line than he did in his first term, uh, and I think he is, um, and to the extent that um, he is creating um, a different legacy for himself and pursuing a different agenda than, than former Mayor Francis, um, I don't think that either Geniac or um, Fred Francis are totally comfortable with that. And I think at least in Geniac's case, a lot of it um, has to do, or some of it has to do with how she sees her personal political legacy tied up in um, what that Francis council accomplished. Yeah, and to go off of that, I think if we look at the, and I, John can be our fact checker here, but in the last election, uh, Darcy ran, Darcy Reno ran, say that three times fast, against uh, Fred Francis, and it was a close race. Uh, she did well. She wasn't that far behind. And, but she kind of went with the message, especially on the Roseland thing. Like she almost, she went more fiscally conservative in that campaign than Fred did. And one can assume that Darcy will probably run again. And uh, so maybe he is going down that route where, look, if I approve all this spending like crazy, it's going to be easier for my competition, whether it's Darcy or somebody else, to call me out on it. And, you know, maybe maybe it's a losing strategy for him. So Fred Francis won pretty convincingly. He had 52.9% of the vote in Ward 1, uh, 3,500 votes. Um, I don't have the poll by polls in front of me, but I, I really think Mayor, Mayor Dilkins um, had many more votes than 3,500. Um, Darcy Reno had 2167, 32.7% uh, of the vote, a more than respectable result, um, especially for a first time uh, candidate going up against an incumbent, but um, 1,400 votes is not nothing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how worried Councillor Francis is about his reelection. Um, maybe he sees a vulnerability there, but I, I think, you know, not that I would like to give political advice to Councillor Francis, and I, but I, I think in this case, it is way too late for him to change direction. Um, his biggest political liability is that he is a completely one note Councillor. He has one thing on his mind, um, and that is pinching the grand mare stitch. Well, <laughs> that didn't go very well, John. <laughs> it's, maybe... <laughs> first, it's, it's not a ditch, it's a linear park. There's very so, big difference. Yeah, in, in investments in shrubberies in the ditch aside, uh, Councillor Francis's one message is fiscal responsibility, squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Um, and I, I think that's a far bigger risk to him than, um, you know, than, uh, 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 you know, being potentially trumped by another um, candidate who can, who can, uh, uh, you know, argue that he has not been fiscally conservative enough. If anything, I think Councillor Francis, uh, his vulnerability lies in his one dimensional approach, um, and his, his lack of nuance when he approaches these issues. So there you have it. Uh, Doug Sartori thinks Darcy Reno is the Trump candidate against Fred Francis. Very good.
<laughs> let's let's leave that one there and go on to the next topic. I think that we've uh, sure. Well, anyway, one more one more quick comment. Yeah. We all know that when they say it's going to be thirty-two million dollars, and they know it's going to be fifty million dollars. So, if you are going the fiscally conservative route, I mean, this is a huge, huge number that's going to come out, and you are going to have to defend that in the next election. So, I, you know, I'd love to see some data on that, Don, on what the cost overruns for projects are. Um, I know it happens sometimes. The the um, uh, city hall was one there were where there were significant overruns, but it, does that really, do you think that really happens um, with the kind of frequency like that you, that you think that it, you can just tack on a 50% premium onto every, every estimate, because that's where it's going to land. Seems to be the case so far for any big project since I've been back in the city. And yeah. I don't have a spreadsheet, but you know, just, okay. All right. <laughs> That's your perception. Fair enough. I just, mm -hmm. and I, I don't have a spreadsheet in front. Well, I have spreadsheets in front of me, but I don't have that spreadsheet yeah. in front of me. So I can't, I can't um, make a counter argument. I'm just, I'm just expressing a little skepticism there, buddy. Come to the cynical side of the world there. <laughs> well, we know that it happened with uh, city hall and we know that it happened with the aquatic center. So we can hold out and see, uh, whether we'll be going for another one, go for a turkey with these. Well, with the aquatic center, we're paying $3 million plus a year that they said was going to be a break-even point. So <laughs> I would Best love to, I would love ever. for someone to put a microphone um, to Fred Francis and ask him whether he thinks that those annual losses at Adventure Bay are acceptable for the city. I would love to hear his take on that. Um, you know, there, there definitely, uh, there definitely are some, some items that if you're a fiscal hawk and you're very, very concerned about the, um, you know, doing right by the taxpayer and making sure that you are, um, are, are always thinking about the bottom line, there are curious lacunae in his perspective that in that um, there are just some places that he never goes. You'd think that that, that three plus million a year uh, 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 losses at um, Adventure Bay would be something that a guy like Fred Francis would be all over. It's handed to him on a silver platter and he doesn't jump on it. And well, it's because it's his buddy, the mayor, who pushed this thing through. That was his baby. And look what we got. Yeah, sports tourism, man. Rosemary's baby is what we got. <laughs> Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, okay, let's go on to the next one. This I find to be just such an interesting topic. So it's been asked for by many for a long time. City of Windsor has, Windsor has decided to launch new budget engagement tools in time for the 2020 budget. So you can go and check these out right now, but you're going to have to act quick because they're going to kill these tools on November the 12th. The budget simulator will allow you to adjust the city's 2021 approved property tax funded operating budget by increasing, decreasing, or maintaining spending for various city services across the board. Once users make their adjustments, a colored pie chart is updated to reflect the percentage of spending on each service. Users are able to adjust each service to a maximum of approximately 10%. I used this. It was pretty fun to be able to go through and, you know, make your ideal Windsor budget, massive cuts here and huge increases in spending there. Doug, did you uh, try it out? I mean, from, uh, I did. What, yeah. What do you think um, about it? I did. Um, I think it's a really interesting tool for the record. Um, 
if I increased taxes $10 million, um, if anyone wanted to know where my priorities lie. Um, but uh, I, I think it's a good tool. Um, it's pretty comparable to similar uh, budgeting tools that you see across the province. Um, in the pre-show, uh, Don and I did a little tour of the um, city of Guelph's uh, old budget forecasting tool, um, the the simulator that um, that I think was one of the things that got held up as an exemplar, and it's very, very similar to this tool. There's a couple of differences. Um, one difference that I think is interesting is that the capital budget is included in the Guelph tool, and uh, I'm not sure why the capital budget was excluded here. I think it's a bit of a um, glaring omission that it would be way better if we had um, everything on board. But um, but I, I felt that there's you know, it's good that we have this. I think it's a great tool to engage people, but um, it's a little vague. You know, it's it's pretty high level. Um, it, it's hard for me to imagine as, you know, as a resident looking at this tool and um, trying to figure out what my priorities are. Um, you know, if I, if my priority is, let's say, I think that we should have, um, you know, more sidewalks and streetlights in the city. I'm not sure that I'm communicating that when I tick the slider up um, a bit on, on one particular item. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm able to communicate exactly what my priorities are, but that's a quibble. You know, uh, um, I think this is a huge step in the right direction. This is something that people have been asking for for many years, and I think it's going a long way um, to making for a more inclusive budget process and something that residents can engage in and, and maybe have a little bit better handle on um, what is being debated when the budget comes around next year. Did you yeah. have a $10 million tax increase, Don? Uh, funny enough, I did not. Uh, I actually decreased, because you can only decrease the budget in any department, was it 10%? Is that what it was? Yeah. So I decreased everybody's budget 10%, gave it all to the police only for tank purposes. So we can get new tanks on the streets at all times. <laughs> so yeah, it does. It's good, aside. Don. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, we all have our thing, right? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's a little, it is a little vague. I The capital budget thing, which is, I believe it's more than half the budget, isn't it? Or at least half. It's around half, yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting that because included in capital budget would be things like new libraries and new blah, 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 that they don't want us even having the option of commenting on those. Uh, I did notice in each of the little slider things, there was a spot for notes. You could put notes in. Uh, so I expect Bruce Road will have motorcycle only designated speed limit free lanes any given day now. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's look, we had nothing before and it's been, you know, we've been doing this show long enough to know that we've talked about the Guelph one many times and, you know, why can't Windsor, you know, at least participate, the citizens participate a little bit. We did that democracy show last week where we scored very low on consulting the public about, you know, priorities in the community. So this is something it's better than nothing. Uh, but yeah, I think some of the, you know, some of the quibbles, as it's a Doug word quibbles. I don't use that in my own language very often. Uh, yeah, I think it's valid, but you know, it's, it's, it's a step in the right direction. You know, if you've been living in the dark and you get a street light for the first time, you think you've come to the future. So that's where we're at. 
Now, they also released a tax receipt generator allowing you to input your 2021 municipal property taxes and generate an estimated tax receipt showing a breakdown of how your tax dollars are spent. Either of you use that one? No, I did not. Yeah, no, not my, a, my taxes not, are too high already. I don't. I, I'm interested in the priority sec- setting exercise. Um, not so interested in knowing that I spent, you know, $52 on parks or whatever it is. I, I, I'm sure that that's going to be attractive and valuable to people. And some people are really going to like it, but uh, it didn't grab me. So it's being killed. They note on the uh, website on the November 12th. What's your take on them just taking this thing down? Uh, and I understand it's reflective of the current budget, but don't you think there's used to keep this thing up in perpetuity? It's not like it's taken up a significant chunk of data on the city's website. So is so the question is, is the budget going to drop like three hours before Christmas like it usually does? Or when is the budget supposed to come out? Anybody I, know? No, I'm not uh, sure. Don't have that remember, remember all the shows we did where Councillor Boredom was always complaining he got the three binders on his porch like two weeks before Christmas and you know had to vote on everything. So uh, yeah, I was going to ask you guys if you know why why November twelfth? Why are they killing it? Doesn't seem to. No, no idea. Um, if I can ride a hobby horse for a minute, I think um, generally speaking, I don't like to see um, short short-lived um digital stuff i think that it is better um when we keep things around for a long time again the pre-show we went and looked at the um the guelph budget tool we actually looked at the tool from 2016 um because they still have that up on their website uh and i i think there's some value in um in keeping things around, I think that it it builds confidence in in um, what people see on the website when it is uh, you know it's archived and and kept for a long time. Who knows why? Um, you know, maybe this is a service that is being paid for over time, and and it's not something that uh, they felt they wanted to continue to pay um, for uh, you know after November twelfth. I think it's a reasonable amount of time to have the thing up, but my preference would be for it, you know, once a tool like this is put in place that it just stay in place and not be, um, not be removed, but it certainly is a fairly decent amount of time. I mean, it's at least three, four weeks, right? So, um, it's, you know, it's a decent amount of time. I don't, I don't think it's the the greatest crime ever, but, uh, I think it's better if this kind of thing is, has a life and sticks around on city websites so that, you know, five years from now, we could go back and talk about this tool when they never bring it back or when, you know, when they bring the quantum version out in 2028, we can, God, are we still going to be doing this show in 2028? Anyway, um, <laughs> we can, you know, we can talk about that from, from our porch swings or whatever. And uh, <laughs> Don's retirement village, um, we can, we can go back and talk about it. We won't have that opportunity because it's going to be gone. I'll be zooming in from Boca to do the show on Wednesday nights. It's a, you know, and in Windsor's defense, you know, it's weird that they would leave this tool only up for a little while because we elect tools all the time and they stay there forever. Rimshot, anything? Come on. That was good. That was good. good. I'll I'll allow it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Blackburn does report that it costs $23,000 for these uh, to have been implemented. So we don't know if those are, if there's ongoing fees that are still necessary, if that was just to have it created, but just wanted to point that out. Now, what I did find most interesting is Mayor Dilkins in the Blackburn article 
is quoted as saying, if the vast majority of the city all of a sudden says, you know, we want you to invest $100 million in whatever they say it is, it's going to make myself and city council look, evaluate, and say, is it reasonable? Um, that was interesting. So, I mean, they're data mining here. Um, that wasn't something that was, uh, you know, it, it doesn't say that on the city website itself. You had to glean this from a media interview with Mayor Dilkins. Do you, do, do you buy that? I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think that they're going to be looking at these caring one way or another what people say. Oh, I don't agree. I think that there most likely there will be a report that comes back to council. It'll probably be on the agenda. So we'll all get a chance to look at the statistics. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a level of cynicism that is not productive. And I, and with all due respect, John, I think you're in it with that comment because, um, you know, the city provides these tools for engagement. They are going to um, pay attention to the responses that in the past, when, um, when the city does engagements, um, when they do consult the community on stuff, um, that's always a highlight of the debate. It's a big part of the debate is what were the responses to this or that survey? Um, what did people say? What did people not say, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, it, you know, it may seem like nobody's listening, but I think it's really important um, if you feel, especially if you feel that your voice is not reflected um, in the decisions of city council, it's really important for you to stand up and be counted and identify, um, you know, your your views uh, on something like the budget. I if look at if ten thousand people in the city used this tool and expressed a desire for the city to go in a different direction the city council would be crazy not to pay attention to it. Uh, and it would be, um, it would create an opening for challengers um, at the next election that, that people don't want. So um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's legit. I think it's something that people should engage in. And um, you know, if you don't think your voice is heard, I have two tips. One, do the survey. And number two, uh, put in a ward one postal code and pretend you're from ward one and they'll really listen. There will be no linear parks in Ward 1. That's my comment. Let's go the other way on this. Let's say, you know, budget deliberations come out at City, at, at city Council and they refer to this tool quite often saying, well, we got this priority from, you know, the survey. Any concern that next time around people and especially special interest groups will start manipulating this tool, much like an online poll for AM 800 that we endlessly kind of make fun of. Uh, is there a way for certain segments of the population to actually manipulate this and get what they want by, you know, basically overloading this, uh, this tool and making it seem like there's a lot more people interested in X, Y, or Z than actually is. Oh, you mean the AM 800 daily news poll? Yeah. Yeah. So this will be, you know, the city's version and everybody, you know, <laughs> cuts the police budget by 20% and wants, you know, golden archways around every street, you know, something like that. I'd like to introduce a motion to have Don stop using the word tool. Can we call this a simulator instead? I think that would be a lot better. I, you, you started with a tool and I'm kind of just working on it. Um, but <laughs> I think Don brings up an interesting one with the police budget. No, I, I actually think Don's point is really well taken. Um, you know, the um, anything you, you do, any... You. Anything you do, oh yeah, clip and save, guys. Anything that you do online, um, just ask Bodie McBoatface. There is a risk um, of brigading. There is a risk of, um, you know, 
concerted efforts to um, to make one particular outcome happen. Um, there is a concern that you know potentially um, uh, interest groups even outside the city could engage. So I, I think at some point um, we have to think about how we can both protect the privacy of residents and at the same time ensure that the um, that these simulators and other um, other tools for uh, community engagement are um, are used effectively and are being are being um, used in a way that is consistent with the views of the community when you want to attend a, one of the new fangled zoom ward meetings you actually have to identify who you are and where you live um, in order to um, in order to attend and and um, some people might be uh, uh, a little taken aback at that if you want to physically walk into a ward meeting, there's no one at the door checking your tax bill to make sure that you live in the ward or, or even live in the city. Um, but I think online engagement requires a little bit more gatekeeping. Um, so I, I think your point is really well taken, Don, and it's something that the city should consider going forward is how to ensure that um, that these kind of products are um, are used with integrity. Yeah, you don't want them getting railroaded. No. No, and I'm not just a tool making tool jokes over here. Sometimes I say things that are valid. <laughs> um, so there was one that really stood out for me. I went, you know, I'm going to go and reduce the mayor's office budget. That's that's the first thing I wanted to dive in with. And uh, I found it interesting. It has city council and mayor's office uh, budget in a combined so no way to go and actually express that you want to cut the mayor's office budget specifically. So yeah, if, they, if, they, if there's any cuts to that line item, <laughs> the city councilors are going to have to bring their own pens at some point because <laughs> you, know, you know they're not cutting the mayor's office. It's going to be city councilors enough to drink their own coffee kind of thing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the and people said it was on the tool. So, you know, we have thank, to do the yeah. will of the people. Thanks for bringing that up, John. Um, it's always a good opportunity to remind folks that we have the most expensive mayor's office per capita in the entire province. Well, I mean, we're well served for it. If you say so. <laughs> um, it is an obscene fact. Um, but with that, let's move on to our last topic of the night here. Stellantis News makes launch of Windsor Works even more important, says Mayor Dilkins. City Council approved the Windsor Works report this week and last week, and with Stellantis dropping the second shift at the Windsor Assembly Plant, possibly just temporarily, it's making implementing the report even more important, says Mayor Dilkins. We know that this was put together by a UK-based consulting firm, Public First, for $400,000, and now it was unanimously passed in, by council in February, costing $2.99 million over three years, and it envisions eventually hiring 12 to 14 dedicated staff for it. Um, so I don't know where we want to go with this one we don't need to really dive into the full components of it we've talked about that before on the show a number of times but i guess this spending here is maybe a good place for us to look to because it does break down that 2.99 million dollars and what is envisioned half a million dollars for a comprehensive st study to get the city's airport lands shovel ready for development by industries and other uses 165000 to create a funding portal to help businesses access grants and other financing, 
$50,000 to study whether Windsor should hire a firm film officer to attract movie and TV production, $600,000 to develop a communications plan, $75,000 to study how to better coordinate with Detroit and Michigan economic development offices, $150,000 to study the creation of a venture capital fund, $150,000 to uh, increase the city's community improvement plans, which provide incentives, including tax rebates for residential development. 150,000 to renovate long vacant office spaces on the ground floor of the Goyo Street parking garage and do a commercial hub for startups. 50,000 to study the creation of a tech hub and 200,000 for doing collaborative research with the college and university. Um, what's your take on the spending, the priorities here that are listed? I mean, I, we talked about this in the pre-show. Pretty surprised here to see that shovel-ready development of the airport lands. This was something that just sort of came out of nowhere here, um, and now it's wrapped up in that. But Doug, I'll go to you first. Yeah, that that is an interesting one. Um, I didn't realize how big of a chunk of the um, anticipated Windsor work spend that that was. Um, on the one hand, it makes sense. Um, you know, if you want to attract major employers um, and you think that that's a strategic place where um, they may be interested in going, um, it is conveniently located near the airport. So you can um, imagine a lot of different things that might um, that might potentially go there and be uh, an asset economically to the city. But um, I wonder why that needed to be um, brought in under the auspices of Windsor Works and why that would not be a separate item brought forward at council. Um, it just seems to me that with only a few million dollars to play with, um, you know, there are other items that might have been beefed up um, that, that perhaps would have been, um, you know, be able to beef up or be beefed up. And, and you would think that if a, a study um, of the airport lands is needed, that that would probably pass at council as a standalone item. So it is a little curious, um, but perhaps there are reasons for it that we're not thinking of. Um, what's, you know, and, and we did talk about this last week. And I think, um, I think we had a uh, um, a pretty good conversation about it. And, and now in, we have the benefit of having watched the debate play out at council. And, you know, I think um, my biggest concern here is not so much the money um, or even the, uh, the ways that it's being distributed. Um, things like uh, the venture capital fund aside, which I think is a real bad idea. Um, but uh, overall, you know, I, I think there's, there's, um, there are good things in the Windsor Works report and there are not so good things in the Windsor Works report. Um, you, you could make the argument that um, more of the good things than the not so good things have been brought forward to, you know, to in this, in this particular uh, item to be, uh, um, to be studied and, and move forward. And that's good. Um, but I think where I land on it is that, uh, you know, I personally, and I try not to be a cynical person. Um, I'm just really suspicious of our ability to execute this stuff. And I, you know, I, I hope to be proven wrong. Um, they are talking about bringing in a, a whole crew of people to plan and execute this work. But, um, I, you know, 
call me cynical, call me a naysayer. I'm just really skeptical that, um, that we can do it, uh, that, that effectively, you know, this money will be used effectively, but, um, but, uh, yeah, that's where it is. And, and, uh, I've got lots to say on the politics of it, but that those are my thoughts on the substance. Okay. Well, uh, to go on something Doug said last, last week, it's, uh, the highest line item on that whole budget is communications. So I think that's where the politics comes on and selling this plan. The 500,000 for develop were for to do a study of development out in what it basically is the sound sandwich Southlands where the proposed hospital site is seems ridiculous because they've had plans, development plans out there since Jesus, I think the 1990s or early two thousands was the first one. And they've been, for years installing sewer lines and things like that and expropriating property part, put all these parcels together around the, around the airport. So yeah, without details, it seems odd that they need to spend half a million dollars of this puny little budget on something like that. To me, it feels like he's trying to sounds to me, it feels like the mayor is trying to work the controversial, I guess we'll say development of those lands into a Windsor works kind of project. Like, well, the consultants told us we should do this. So we're doing it. And I did it rah, rah, I win. Uh, so I think there is some politics going on out there, you know, from a real estate standpoint, we already know what the lands are zoned for. Uh, people have been buying property out there, certain developers and certain people in the city ever since the proposal was announced. So I think people are ready to go and they are, if they have plans, they've already got basic plans. Uh, I do think developing the airport lands, you know, on the other side of County Road 42, uh, you know, we can go back to Mayor Francis standing out at the airport doing announcements about all these logistics companies that were coming down until somebody told the logistics companies and they said, we don't know what the hell you're talking about. But, you know, in the wishful thinking days of, you know, the economic depression. Yeah, I mean, if you look at those lands, it's a great idea. I mean, there was a proposal to put that or there was an idea of having the train yard, which is downtown on uh, just off Crawford there, moving that out towards, you can make that all, you know, a logistical hub for every form of transportation and have it all in one spot. So, you know, I think there's plans out there. I think there's ideas out there. Seems to be a little bit of politics. I don't know why, like I say, I just don't know why we have spent half a million dollars to, you know, figure out what we're going to do with those lands. Cause I think what's going to happen is going to happen already. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be a sense of urgency though. Wasn't there, um, and and you probably have more of the details than I do on this, Don. But wasn't there an expropriation uh, adjacent to those lands uh, just in the last couple of years? Yeah, there was one. I believe it was one house, and it was a pretty controversial story. There was the last, I think, the last family out there where they were expropriating this land, and obviously they were arguing over price. And I remember at the time, some counselors kind of asked me some questions on value on that property. And uh, yeah, so I think that was the final piece of the puzzle right around the time that they, I think they announced that that's where the hospital was going to, you know, that's where the proposed hospital is going to go. Uh, so, I, I mean, that, that's kind of my point. It seems like they already had a plan and knew what direction they were going in. So I don't, well, I don't know. Yeah. And that's my point. Like you don't do an expropriation on spec, do you? No, like you, well, <laughs> you wouldn't think that you just like <laughs> go and <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to appropriate this land because one day we're going to do something. Well, and, you know, um, sadly, joking aside, I mean, I'll bring up a perfect example. Uh, a friend of mine, real estate friend of mine, their family used to own the top at restaurant downtown. And that's where the Burger King is now. And 
at the time city council, I think the mayor was uh, mayor Francis and Fulvio Valentinus was the ward three counselor at the time. And uh, they were trying to sell the property and they got pushback from council and council was denying approvals for certain things about the de developers wanted to buy it. And the thought, and the reason they, re the family received was, well, we have plans for that property. So it's as ridiculous as it sounds. It's not outside of how the cities operate to say that they have plans for property they don't own and don't tell people about it. Um, with your indulgence, uh, folks, I want to share a clip from the council meeting on this item, uh, because I think like this is going to tie into some of the stuff we were talking about before about this, you know, uh, the, the dynamics of council and how they've changed. Um, this exchange is, uh, includes Joanne Geniak, Mayor Dilkins and Jason Raynar. And I want to just play it for you folks for a few minutes. Um, Hopefully this works and th those viewing will be able to also see the council meeting. Um, but take a look at this and we'll come back in a couple of minutes. And I, I just want to hear uh, your thoughts on it, folks. So guys, I just want to jump in here. Jason, be ready to answer. But I, I've heard a couple of times now that we're hiring all these people before we get the commissioner in place. Jason has mentioned that the commissioner recruitment is ongoing. That will be the first position that's hired. So uh, the commissioner will absolutely have an opportunity to help build the team below them. And the, and the and I keep hearing there's no report, no details. You have a hundred page report, nearly a hundred pages uh, of the implementation plan in front of you. And of the 12 to 14 positions that are, you know, have been identified, they're only really asking to hire five today. And they've laid out what they are on page 43 and 44. <laughs> laid them out and said, here are the positions that we're going to hire. And they're not, they're complementary to the work that we'd see, not, not in conflict or competition with. You know what, Mr. Mayor, I appreciate that. Um, but I hope you can appreciate that you probably wouldn't want to repeat the situation that I participated into when we had to go through um, eliminating or looking for more cost-efficient ways for this for this municipality to to work, and so we went through a 101-day strike. We went through the contracting out of services that had become so inflated in cost uh, for residents on the local tax bill that what we had to do was horrible. So call me gun shy, call me whatever you want to call me. But in terms of setting up an internal economic uh, development division after literally I've been through outside, inside, now outside, I think, you know what, these are, these are initiatives that 11 people have to sit in a room and fully explore what it means and what we expect for the dollars that we're going to invest. That's all I'm saying. You can point to the report, and I think it's a great report, but every strategic session that I have participated in as after an election, as being an elected official, I sat with stickers and identified what we were going to move forward with um, during my four-year or three-year term, because I've gone from three to four years. I walked through with Ms. Wolf and her you know the the gentleman that lives in vancouver after because she couldn't get here from england 
and we talked about everything that every counselor had identified. I know the document because it's all of our verbiage, what we've identified as being important to move forward on. What I'm saying to you is on this one, if I'm approving this today, I'm doing what kind of happened with other things. And we'll talk about that as we go through the other items on the agenda today, where I thought I was approving one thing and it sure grew to something else. Thank you. Okay, Councillor Kasha, Jason. Sorry, Your Worship, I was just gonna address uh, the, the, what I think is the crux of, of, of Councillor Janiak's comments, which, which are, are bang on about resourcing. And I, and I just wanna try putting it this way to you. And you know, forgive my crassness, but because council and administration has been so effective at making sure that the resources that are at this city are doing only and exactly what are required to deliver the service level set by council, there is no capacity to do the amazing work that Windsor Works contemplates. And as your CAO, it's critical that I put to you as directly as I can, that we cannot move Windsor Works forward, the amazing lift strategy without significant resources immediately. I know that council understands and appreciates that the work that's involved, even with just this implementation plan, is significant because we want significant results. So So that was the clip. Um, curious uh, about the reaction that you guys will have. I have some thoughts on it. I selected that clip for a reason, but um, but what do you guys think? Well, the first thing that jumps out at me is Councillor McKenzie is starting to look like the captain of the Titanic with that crazy beard he's got going on. So uh, he's going to be steering that ship in the right direction, I hope, and uh, avoiding all icebergs. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Karen. <laughs> That's, he, he knows we're just kidding on him. <laughs> Does he? <laughs> uh, no, well, maybe not. I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, two things that jump out at me on that is kind of what we discussed in one of the previous segments of Councillor Geniac is pretty much disagreeing and arguing a bit with the mayor, which you wouldn't have seen for many, many, uh, many, many years. Uh, and for the CAO, this, I'm kind of, I have two, I feel two ways about this. I think the CAO is right. If we're going to do these 10 year plans, 20 year studies, how do we change our city? You know, if you're going to do them and they come up with recommendations, you're going to have to pay for them and you're going to have to actually implement them. You have to do them. You, you know, if you just want to do the study so you can say, look, we did the study and we'll stick it on a shelf and then it becomes a campaign thing later. But if you actually want to make change, yeah, you're going to have to fund these things. And if this is, you know, this is the thing we're going to hang our hat on and say, when the Windsor works, uh, study is what we want to do. That's going to change things and to make everything better. Yeah, you got to fund it. I agree with them. Uh, I also agree with Councillor Geniac when she goes back and says, I've seen this story before, and it just turns into it kind of blows up in our face. Then we all have to wear egg on our face the next time, you know, an election comes around. So I don't know. Uh, personally, yeah, I, I have a hard time with it because to me, I am the cynical one in the show and I've seen Windsor just screw things up time and time again. Maybe this time it'll be different, new CAO. But I think what the CAO has said is, look, if you're going to want to do this, we have to do it and this is going to cost money. 
That's the only way to make this strategy work. If this is the strategy you want to go with. Yeah. I got to agree with you on those points. I mean, it's, this is going to cost money. You can't avoid that. It's already been produced. What was the point of having a report produced if we weren't going to follow through on that? Well, and as you noted though, Don, we have many, many reports and master plans that are all shelved and collecting dust, but they're great, great plans. Um, Councillor Geniak, she really went nuclear there. Um, the invocation of the 101 day strike, I thought was to me the most interesting part of that. Just taking it straight up to 11. Um, and then I'll just, I'll leave it at this because I know you're going to want to talk about your reasoning for bringing that specific clip, Doug. Um, I thought the CAO, wow, does that guy know how to play politics? I don't want to be crass, but let me go and compliment you all on doing an outstanding job. I mean, just, and like, that's exactly what he did there. It was a, it was a brilliant maneuver. I don't think it'll work for him in the long run though. I mean, with this council, but he, it's interesting to see that he's still trying to play the game. Well, I, I think, um, so I took a little bit of a different uh, uh, view of Mr. Raynor's comments. Um, first of all, uh, it, it is so refreshing to see a, um, a member of administration, the, the leader of administration, um, pushing back respectfully, diplomatically, and with facts um, but uh, it, it is such a different style from the previous CAO um, to see uh, that kind of response to uh, a, a question from Joanne Geniak. It's not something that you would have, I would have expected to see under um, Honorio Colucci. Uh, but, but beyond that, um, the, you know, just sort of frankly stating, um, we don't have the resources to execute this plan because you have cut us to the bone. I mean, that, that is how I translate um, the statement that Mr. Raynor made. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that is a, a level of frankness and a level of self-assuredness that I have not seen before um, from top administration. So I found that pretty impressive. And I totally agree, John. Um, Geniac went completely nuclear. And, it, it, you know, if you when when we release this on YouTube, or go and watch that exchange, it happens around the one hour 40 minute mark of the council meeting. Um, watch the faces and the body language. Um, you know, this is not a, uh, this is not a, a drawing room debate or a, um, you know, a, a show, uh, uh, you know, a, some kind of a political show. Um, Geniak and Dilkins are not in agreement on this agenda. Um, Geniak is very much not on side with it. And uh, to, you know, to your point, um, basically uh, saying that this is the kind of spending and this is the kind of thing that caused the city to quote unquote have to um, uh, uh, you know, have that divisive and, and terrible strike that long strike, um, you know, with, um, with its own, um, its own workforce. Uh, so, so I, you know, I don't think it can be understated, um, what, you know, how different this is from what has gone before. And, uh, you know, I wanted to bring it forward because, I think it's something that if you are um, like most people are not a watcher of council, if you are a 
person who reads what's in the media, um, you might not be picking up on these currents, but they are fascinating. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to watch this unfold. Um, we are less than a year away from the municipal election. And I think you can definitely see folks positioning themselves. And I'm not sure where all this is going to go, but I, I don't think that next year's election is going to be quite the same as the one four years ago. Do you think, sorry, I didn't mean to jump on you there, John, just, just kind of a broader question in general, kind of going back to the point I made. Do you feel that, again, to me, Joanna, just, she's looking at this through the lens of the past 20 years or however long she's been on a council and the numerous stops and starts and failures. Do you think you can bring in a new CEO who is younger? Uh, he worked in a city that kind of did some more progressive things and they implemented some things that, you know, we only kind of dream about down here. Do you think for Windsor to actually move forward and to make the changes that we've talked about for years and years and years that it's time for the old counselors who are part of, let's just say the problem in the past to disappear and, Windsor's not going to be able to move forward until we get a whole new breed of people kind of running, you know, the powers that be down at the city. And we've started with this CAO and we've, like you said, we've seen how different he is uh, in interacting in these situations. Cause usually, you know, no offense to our previous CAOs, it was kind of just, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Uh, whereas, you know, CAO Raynard is actually pushing back on some things and, and telling them their face. If you want change, it's, you have to make change and it's going to be expensive. And if you're not willing to do that, nothing's going to happen. And you're just going to keep getting, you know, it's going to be same old Windsor, like the same old Detroit Lions. Yeah. Now, having said that, um, and and I made much the same comments about Raynor, um, he is on side with his mayor. Um, the, this is the mayor's agenda. And I think it's important to point that out. Um, he's not uh, freelancing here. He's not going out on a limb where... Uh, he's offside with the head of council. It's Geniac who is offside with the head of council. And that's just not something that we have seen before. Um, but, uh, you know, my only interaction with Jason Raynor has been to see how he conducts himself in these council meetings. And uh, um, I agree with you, Don, this is a, um, this is a generational change. Um, I don't know you know, I don't know what Mr. Raynor's career plans are and how long he'll be here in Windsor or how long council will, um, will see fit to have him in that role. But th this, um, this is a change in tone and a change in style that is, um, that is pretty welcome. And I, I, um, I gotta say, and this is a little bit of a mea culpa, um, when, uh, uh, when he was announced as the new CAO and we did our research. And if you guys remember, we did an after show on this and I, I had a little bit of fun because he was the pay your taxes with Bitcoin guy um, back in his previous municipality. Um, this is a case where at least what I've been able to glean so far from his conduct in public, um, I, I was too cynical. Um, you know, I was thinking same old, same old. Uh, uh, you know, this is another um, library CEO or another, like, this is going to be another hire from outside that blows up in our faces. And, and um, the, the evidence so far would not indicate that that was correct. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe bringing that, that cynical attitude to everything that comes down the pike from the city is, is not always productive. And looking back, if we had paid our taxes in Bitcoin, 
the city would have made about 500% on their Bitcoin investment <laughs> in the last year and a half. So it was a bloody genius idea that we just failed to grasp. We had an opportunity to raise our tax base by like, what, $3 billion? Would have been I, always, fantastic. I always think about that guy who bought a pizza with like eight Bitcoins yeah, back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, they did Rain a story on did a story. Sorry, John, they did a story on him on CNBC where they interviewed him because this Bitcoin collection now would have been worth like 140 million dollars. He goes, "Well, you know, I got some pizza out of it. So, yeah. It was a pretty good pizza. I mean, yeah. exactly. <laughs> to him, it was free. So, yeah, yeah, jokes on every other city that didn't do that because yeah, they could have been sitting on a whole pile of bitcoins there. Um, I agree with you, Doug. I, I mean, I, I thought it was going to, I didn't have such high uh, expectations of him either. And it's really refreshing to have, you know, seen that clip and to see that pushback that is occurring, whether or not you agree with, uh, you know, the, the Windsor Works report or not, but to actually have that level of frankness that's being shown, um, pretty great. It's, uh, it really, really changes up the dynamic. Well, I think the question is, are we going to see going forward, does the powers that be at city council rein him in with as much pressure as they can to get him on their side and do things like the old maiden Windsor solution, or are they going to, you know, are they going to say, you know, our people and a, no offense to counselor Jeannie actually has been a great counselor over the years, but our people counselors like her are going to say, you know what, my time is up. Things are going in a different direction. Uh, you know, and let's let this guy take a shot and do what he's going to do. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we saw the, she was offside with this. She was offside with the uh, Festival Plaza. So we're seeing some pretty interesting fractures develop. Uh, it'll be a really interesting election uh, coming up and, uh, you know, the season to get into it. Um, I don't know. The one last part, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before, but just going through this story and putting it together, it's reminded again that the entire uh, the entire inception of Windsor Works was on Mayor Dilkin's re-election night and he looked at his phone and he saw that Oshawa had just had its GM plant shut down and then went, oh no, that could happen here. I mean, is this a good story for him to like to, for it to keep being put out there that it took the story of something happening in Oshawa that was the unthinkable, but everyone knows could happen, that that was the impetus for it? I mean, I don't think that's a, a great story. I think it's a, a mayor who was desperately reacting to forces far bigger than him well if we're going to be jerks about it um and i'm prepared to do that uh, uh you know i i think the timing is really interesting so mayor dilkins um at his inaugural speech made that impassioned speech about oshawa and the need for change and the need for diversification and how important it was going to be um, and then uh you may remember i spent a couple of years asking where the hell the plan was um, and, uh, uh, you know, it all went into motion early in 2021, um, just in time for all of this to sort of start to come to fruition and to be announced and to, for all those things to happen right before election season. And, and so not only will it be fresh in everyone's mind that, um, you know, this whole Windsor Works diversification plan um, it was, was the mayor's brainchild and it's going to be fresh and it's going to be an election issue and it's going to be something that he hangs his hat on. But not only that, but the election will be long over way before we get any inkling of whether this thing is going to work or not. So it's perfect politically. But this is the question that I want to I ask 
is the political timing of all of this is excellent. If you are Mayor Dilkins and you want to win re-election and you wanna use this as a piece of your platform to win re-election, how seriously should we take Mayor Dilkins' commitment when he sat on this thing for a couple of years so that the timing of it would be good for his re-election instead of pursuing it immediately in, um, in 2019 after, after winning the election and stating on inauguration night that it was the most important issue? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think it's, yeah. Are we being jerks? Is that what's going on? Yeah. I think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence. Let's just put it that way. The mayor has, this mayor has been known to pretty much try to use everything for political purposes. He's politicized as much as he can for his own purposes. So I, uh, yeah, I can't disagree with that. I mean, I got to, uh, the timing is incredibly suspect, um, as you've you've said, Doug. Um, I could see him doing it. I could absolutely see him doing it, um, and that's that's a problem. That's a perceptional problem at the very least, um, and it's a much bigger problem if that is the case. Um, but I don't know. With that, is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? With yeah, this? I, I have one more thing to say uh, since we're being jerks. I would like to apologize to Councillor McKenzie for saying he looks like the captain of the Titanic with his new crazy beard, when in all reality, he looks more like the guy on the Highlander Fish Corporation logo. So I, I would take back what I said about the Titanic. And uh, I would just like Councillor McKenzie to think about all the bald, bald jokes he made over the years. And uh, when you're not <laughs> on the show anymore and can't come back, I can pretty much say whatever I want there, Captain. <laughs> City politics. Come for the takes. Stay for the personal insults. There you go. <laughs> um, now, were you going to do uh, for your consideration, Don? Nope. No, nah, we'll save that for another show because actually I, I think it's a topic we can talk about and it's, yeah, I could throw it out real quick, but let's just save that for another time because okay. it's an election campaign kind of thing anyway. Well, for your consideration, go read a book or watch something on TV, guys. <laughs> oh, go see Dune. Check it out in the theater, guys, for your consideration. Uh, good call. I really want to see it at an IMAX. That's uh, the way. Uh, so if we're going to... Okay, I saw it at Lakeshore um, because Lakeshore Cinemas are the, is the best movie-watching experience in the city uh, or in the region, I guess, because it's out in Lakeshore. Um, Silver City has the IMAX. They have the 3D. They have all that crap. Um, Lakeshore has uh, uh, absolutely comfortable chairs, a um, excellent sound system. Um, it's the best place to watch a movie in town. Is did you like get your tickets for free for that plug? No, but I should. <laughs> this show, uh, this show is brought to you by Lakeshore Cinemas. If, if you're if you're listening, Lakeshore Cinemas, uh, yes, we we definitely will accept retroactive bribes. We will take some free movie passes and we'll plug your your little operation out there on this show every week <laughs> any business really we'll, we're here to be your shill just yeah. uh come on hold hold send us some beer man it's all we're asking it's all we're asking for um well with that we are at the end of the show um this was a really fun one tonight um as i said just leaving that last segment we're we're going to be entering a really interesting period of local politics here the likes uh, we haven't really seen before um with you know almost three separate camps now forming on council uh so stay tuned to that it's going to be uh interesting to watch as it all unfolds 
It is the 27th of October. Our regular panel tonight included Doug Sartori, Don Merrifield Jr., and myself, John Libke. Please support us at patreon.com forward slash Rose City Politics. We're in BizX Magazine and at bizxmagazine.com. And Rose City Politics is able to broadcast live on tape thanks to the kind support of Leuna 625 Building Better Communities. We will be back next week, folks.